other prayer requests or any other praises? Yeah, way of adding, can I have one in there? Prayer yeah. request with Jeff Stevens. Jeff Stevens? Yeah. Passed away, Jeff Stevens saying he passed away. Uh, I think he was 58, 59. Yeah. No, no, no. His, his family used to have on the Avenue Small Engine. Okay. Jeff Stevens. Yeah. Okay. You remember him, Roger? He was the uh, young man that uh, worked in the back of an average small league. Right. Yeah. Okay. Margaret, um, how fragile life is, and so we have to stop for a moment and regroup sometimes when we think of that. Not easy to experience it personally, and so our hearts go out to these families. I, um, don't know if I have what Jerry has in that compassion and that outreach, and that that is a real. Uh, I think it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. One line that a person can reach out and comfort and say something uh, meaning and value uh, to a family. So those two families and Kathleen says she would like to have Bernie Hauser and the Gorski family. And Bernie Hauser and the Gorski family. Life on the prayer list for future patience, love, and forgiveness. <laughs> Since Robert got me in trouble with my wife. Thurston. I can't help. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to need it. You're, you're still gaping. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> James needs to be added for telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you both in the prayer
And the uh, next thing I know, his wife thanks us for the Bible. She had nothing to do with arm's length, in a sense, with going to a church and she's thanking us for a Bible. Uh, I don't understand. I, I have nothing to do with it other than I handed the Bible to the guy. And both of them were delighted about a Bible. So you don't know where things move and how, how things move. Just like the Holy Spirit. And, that, and maybe that's part of the movement. Who knows? But it's the young group now. We're talking about Gen Z here. And he fits just a little older than that group. So you never know how it works. How did it work for us? It brings you back to asking that question. And how did it work for us? You know, you talk about the Bible. I worked the first day. I was on living at duty, but I worked at the clinic there. And they're coming for physical need. They have problems. But they also get counseling spiritually. There's a pastor on site. And we were there. There was three of us. We give them a Spanish Bible, and you ought to see them when they get that Bible. Mm -hmm. They're so thankful. Uh, they're there to get physical needs met, but when they get that Bible, because that's special. You talk about homes that don't have Bibles, there are a ton. But uh, it was a blessing to be able to do that and give out Mrs. Black's crosses to those folks. Thank you.
you, you want to do the rationale. When we give the folks up in Indiana first for us, for, for our church, for them to pray for us, they understand the importance of that. That's, so it's not as good. Put, put uh, John Sapp, S-H-P-P. That's Haley's granddad. John Durham uh, made his professional faith in the Lord Sunday and he's looking forward to being baptized. Amen. Please be praying against Satan who will probably be giving you a real hard time these days. Just stand strong, be strong in the Lord, and I'll hold on to his faith. Things bounce around and whatever. Love and 
blessings and forgiveness and just joy in being married. We just thank you for that. It reminds us that we should be always on the alert for each other and be concerned for each other. Because we don't always see things the same way in our marriages. I'm speaking about myself. And that we sometimes need to stop, regroup, take a moment, listen to the other part. And so thank you for that reminder. And uh, little Everett Schwamm, who's uh, no doubt fighting for his life, just malignant, and we to pray that your healing hand will be within the midst of whatever's done there. Uh, and John Sapp, who's Haley's granddad, concerns for them. We just pray for you be in the middle of the house for soul and be and be there for them. Yeah, you know, we pray for miracles and all of these things. See the exam, the seal, what is what is wrong sometimes? We we, we need a miracle. We need an answer there concerned for what it is seriously wrong here and so we just lift the seal up to you your hand and all of this. And John Durham, John Durham, in the process of being taken up to be in Christ, that is a miracle. And so we just want you to unwrap that miracle for John Burton for all of us just to see that and to marvel that we knew in that in Christ, which is probably a lot of what Paul was talking about in Romans tonight. So we just ask you to be in our midst, give us words, give us understanding, and to uh, untangle uh, uh, the awkwardness of those that are trying to unpack this mystery of your word sometimes we just feel so lost but we thank you that you're here we feel empowered by knowing you're here go with us be with us love us all and we ask all this to pass the words amen so maybe you should read a little bit of the scripture uh, where we work back up a little bit tonight and uh, and go forward a little bit. I think we were talking about I think Robin said somewhere around 12, first 12. I think so. We might back up a little bit to 9. We'll read forward a little bit to the end of this. We very read part of this last time. But there's plenty here. Part now chapter 2 thank you uh, Romans and we'll start at 9. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law 
who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness, consciousness also bearing witness. And their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Paul is all over the map of this. Uh, he is saying hello <laughs> to those who are not doing the right thing. He separated out the Gentiles and the Jews. He's come full circle to declaring the gospel. It's the declaration here. Uh, he's all over the map on this one. That little right in justification. And he, I guess is going to be all over the map. What what Jerry and I talked about, Jerry laid out a lot of the scriptures for this last time, but uh, when we back up to this, this area where there is um, three people, three classes of people, and I just bumped into this tonight that our I mentioned here. Uh, it says first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He's separating Jews and Gentiles here. Um, but when he when he separates them, I've got to look up. I got this towards the end. Um, there was three groups of people. I just want to read this because it was laid out pretty nice. Those who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And it says very nicely, and both will perish without the law. These will be judged according to whatever revelation the Lord gives them. And failing to live up to that revelation the Lord gives them, they will perish. For they're without the law. They're the Gentiles that don't have the law. So let me read that again. These are a group of people who have sinned without the law. They know better. They have a conscience. They have been given this, this understanding. Uh, some say by nature they should understand. And others say they will perish because uh, they were without the law. But listen to these words. These, these people will be judged according to whatever revelation the Lord has gave them and failing to live up to that revelation they will perish. Sounds like they will still perish. They still have no hope. These are the Gentiles, the Jews, who are supposed to bring the one and only true God to these people. They did not have the law. The second group, those who sin under the law will be judged by the law and if they have not obeyed the law, they too will perish. The law demands total obedience to the law. It sounds out like they're going to be lost. 
And I searched for the third group. I almost missed it. The third group is those who obey the law will be justified and will not perish. Who is that? No one. <laughs> no one. One person. Thank you. One person. One person. It took me a little bit of, you're right, no No human. And, and the point here is that the New Testament teaches emphatically that man is impossible. That man, with man, it is impossible to be justified by the law. And so Acts 13.39 is one place that shows that. We know Romans 3.20, Galatians 2.16, 21, and 3.11. There's plenty here that explain that. And so I wanted to get a discussion because I'm nervous up here <laughs> without a little bit of a discussion. I love uh, any input, so just stop and, and throw that out there. We jump kind of ahead. But see, Paul is saying here, what is justification? And he's beginning to make his case. None are, are justified either by the law. Well, the Gentiles say, we don't have the law. What, what are you talking about? We don't have the Well, you know better. Because you're without excuse. And here's why. You know what's right and, and wrong. And it kind of goes into, and, and this is where works theology kind of come out the other night when we were here. There will be the wrath and anger of God for those people who are self-seeking and who reject the truth. And when you go clear back in here, this, this opens up. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else or at whatever point you judge the other person, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. So you you fail. That Paul is alone saying these things to a culture that has self-justified themselves through the power of the world right now, the Roman Roman people. And various other people are very affluent. They're in the, the central city of Rome, and so there's a lot of money and power there. But nonetheless, God is bringing them right to his heart. He's bringing, uh, and so the question becomes a fight before a lot of the people of the theologians say, is he talking to the Romans? <laughs> is he talking to the Roman Christians? Is he talking to the Gentile Christians who were the, the maximum uh, number of people there that, during that time? Well, who's he talking to here? <laughs> it's kind of like talking to everybody. It doesn't really get much traction on who he's really talking to. But he's talking to us today, nonetheless. He's talking to us, and he begins to pull this thing called justification together. He's not ready to tell you how it all works. And that's kind of hard for us to see what he's saying when he does that. Um, all who stand apart from the law, and we went over this with Jerry again, did a nice job on this. Indeed, with Gentiles do, but who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, 
They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They're all there. Are they justified? Is he saying they're justified? How is it? Any thoughts? How, how do we self-justify ourselves today? That's kind of interesting. How do we do that? We kind of think, well, I'm not as bad as that guy, so why can't I judge him? Just like the chapter started up, or, uh, some of us really crash on our own depravity, our own failures. We crash, and we need God, and we go looking around for somebody like God, and they say, do this, do that, you need to do this, and that. the other part of the beginning of this chapter is it says God's judgment um, hath mere uh, man pass judgment on them and do not do the same thing but God's judgment do you it says or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness his tolerance and his patience talking about God waits for these people he gives them a chance and like I said earlier, I gave up on a guy that, uh, that was kind of reaching out. And I don't know where where that's coming from. Because again, that's where you want it to come from. It's from somewhere where it's the Holy Spirit's leading the cost. Not you. And, you know, it's like, God say, be quiet. You know, watch this. And, and so you just say, sit back and go, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. You know, wow. And but, but it's all in this... this in here where be patient with them. They're all lost. What are you going to do about it? God will judge at the end of time. Not now. He's not going to separate the wheat from the chaff now. He's going to go later. So all of a sudden this begins to see he's painting the picture how we're all lost. And boy in three, chapter three is going to pour this out. There's there is the self-justifying Jews that they all just came through and this kind of not, I could probably uh, best read through this the verbs used in this list and this is a list um, in 2.17.20 pretty much the Jews were lying on the law they put their confidence in the fact that God gave it to them. Think about that. Number two, the Jews brag about their relationship to God. Boast in God. Verse 23. Which means they glory in their covenantal ties with God. They have a promise from God. So they justify themselves on God's promise. Not on what their heart says or what they do. As a result of these two things, the Jews, number three, know His will. How many times have I heard, here's what God has said. How many of you times have you heard, God said this. Really? Better be accurate. You know? Um, they have an awareness of God's desire and plan. Why? Because they have the scriptures. They have the Old Testament. They have these these things in front of them. The Gentiles didn't have any of this. The Jews think. Are you hearing this? That they know what the law is, therefore they're justified. 
No, that's not how it works. It's not that they know the law, it is how they obey the law. Remember, only one person was justified. One person. He obeyed the law. Jesus Christ obeyed the law. So, um, he's making cases. You can feel it. It's heavy. And it's, and it's he's all alone in this. By the way, Paul's inserting himself into this. He's part of this. He knows he's part of the brokenness. And he's so willing and waiting to dump the answer on it. But the answer isn't in chapter 2 here. He goes on. Uh, the proof of, and this is one of the operative words in this text, uh, can't say it. No. Uh, to test and approve what passes the test. What is superior? The things that differ and as a result excel. The same type of word is in Philippians 1.10 is translated what is best. What is best. It's saying that here in this section 217-20, which we haven't got into quite yet, but these are what the Jewish people that he's talking about are separated out as having the law. Having the law means that number five, are instructed, are being instructed by the law. Their catechism, if you will, lessons as youth and the regular reading of the law in their synagogues provided this continual instruction. So they know the law. See, continually they know the law, so therefore they're justified. No. Paul's breaking this down. They're not. Just because you know the law, you're justified. And it goes on. Six, many Jews were convinced and as a result believed certain things about themselves in relationship to Gentiles. In relationship. See? They're judging the other guy. Uh, no, it has nothing to do with Paul listed four of these. A guide for the blind? Do you see how they saw the Gentiles? Oh, they're a guide for the blind. A light for those who are in dark, darkness. An instructor of the foolish. Well, how about somebody instructor of the brilliant? Uh, how about somebody that really loves the Lord? Are you teaching that person? No, the teacher of the infants. And when he goes down through that list, you just see what they're thinking. They're so much superior. And so therefore, Paul is really attacking, in the end of this chapter, he's really attacking the Jews for this thing, for this reliance on the law that they know. Therefore, their conclusion is they're saved. They're, they're above everybody else because they have the law. No. Paul's breaking this concept down for them to say, no, you don't have the law. The law has you. And in your toast. You're not going to make it by by that. You, you better crash with the rest of the people that see their need for God. You better crash. You better come down and say, help me, help me pray, praise the Lord that you've got another planet. 
because everybody's lost in this chapter. And is, is there any thoughts to this? Let's open up your hearts here a little bit. And how do you how do you think Paul is huge amount of judgment here? Where's the hope? Where's the hope? Does he have to come? Where do we have to be patient in the scriptures? Tension is there. Isaiah has a lot of judgment, but it's interwoven with hope. Hope through judgment. Hope is never spontaneous. It's hope through judgment. We go through this sometimes wondering um, you know, where the patience of the Lord is and, and hope through judgment. And, and Isaiah spells it out in multiple ways. And especially in Isaiah 53, it, it pours out something that is really hard. Um, it's, it's the condition of the Lord. And, and it's the judgment on the Lord. In Isaiah 53. But hope comes out of it. So here, any thoughts on that you might have on any inkling of where the hope is coming from in this. The last part of this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Paul has a gospel. It's not necessarily... Is there a gospel in the Old Testament? Paul relies heavily on the Old Testament. Um, it kind of is. Yeah, it is, it is because Dr. Gee brought out um, Abraham and David because that by, by faith, you know, um, we're saved by faith, right. and God counted it both for righteousness because they believed, though they had not seen, Jesus had not come. And he brings out a comparison between Abraham and David and they're together on, on their faith, believing the Lord by faith. Right. And Ruth, who's the grandmother of David, might have taught David that saying, your God will be my God and your people will be my people and be it ever so bad to me if I don't live with you and die with you, Naomi. And Naomi had prayed for that right there. And that Ruth in its fullness is a gospel of the Old Testament in a sense. It's only hope coming out of that judgment of judges where they were all killing each other, essentially, towards the end. But anyway, very good faith, faith, hope, faith. Very good one. Any other thoughts on that? I thought my commentary talking about the law says the Mosaic law already reveals God's condemnation of sin, but the cause of sin lies in our hearts. That is deeply rooted in our natures and not in the law. The work of the law refers to the moral commandments of God accessible to the conscience of every person. The knowledge of the work of the law resides in the heart because mankind was created in the image of God. 
since God judges people in accordance with standards known to them, a defense based on ignorance of the Mosaic law is irrelevant and illegitimate. It is not the degree of revelation received, but the response to the revelation itself, however received, that will prove critical on the day when God will judge. Excellent. You have ever asked the question, all those Old Testament people didn't have Christ, how did they get saved? I mean, one of my questions sometimes I ask. You know, and Abraham mentions giving credit to righteousness. Credit sounds kind of like the word like in the atonement, you given forgiveness of sins. Um, David was a man after God's own heart. And so he did a lot of things that were really very bad. And but yet he repented. He repented and had ultimate faith. I cannot come you, you cannot come to me to his little son of God, but I can go to you. It was his hope to faith to believe. Believe. And any anyway, there's plenty here. Any, any other thoughts? I have. We have a lot of people who pray for. And uh, you think God's involved in that? Having them drop the self righteousness. With, uh, you can. <laughs> it's welcome here, by the way. But I, I think I, there's so much here. I wish I had more, um, you know, thoughts on it. But one of the things that um, that this chapter is getting ready for is to take it, from the comparison of Jews and Gentiles is to go right into coming down with the Jewish people for what they have relied on. We read a little bit of it here. Um, and what they are doing and how they see things. And this this is kind of going forward a little bit before we really come to the close on, on what Paul is saying. Um, there is the word catacrima or condemnation. And and it's one of the places, probably one of the only places that um, Paul, Paul brings out condemnation here early in Romans. And then later in the summation it brings up the same word, catacrima. And that particular one is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. So see, the answer is coming much later in this book of Romans. And I just want to have you thinking ahead. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Pardon? The verse 2, read, read it for me. I don't have a problem. I can get it. 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Okay. And you sort of said, no, no, that's perfect. perfect. You can't get any better than that. But to try to illustrate that is really hard. You know, we have a a Christ who is the third person here that obeyed the law and so was justified. And that's that now, now we're, we're left with the baggage of sin. We're all left with the, the guilt of sin. We're, we're all caught in this explanation here in chapter 2. So what happens? Christ was perfect. And he died on the cross, and he shed the blood, the atonement received, passed the test, and had um, made provision, as he said on the cross, it is finished. It has been paid for. I can't say the word. To Palestine. To Palestine. It's paid for in full. In full. For anyone who wants. So now, so what happened? We are sins. Yeah. Put yourself with the cross. Put your, you died in Christ. And you were raised in Christ. Those who believe now, not everybody, those who believe, those sins are forgiven. Those sins that are... Uh, not that we do the work for. Paul's alluding to some work, good works here. But we were penitent. We turned around. We didn't do any work here. Christ did that work. We are in Christ. In Christ. And we are taken with Him in, in a sense, with Him. To what? Um, we will be um, judging those, those people. We will be judging. We are with Him, seated in Judgment. I'm trying to find um, Daniel 7.20 Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. The next verse down, 7.27 Then the sovereign, sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey Him. We, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? That's 1 Corinthians 6.2. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? 1 Corinthians, the next verse. How much more the things of this life? 
So, not because we are self-righteous, it's because we're in Christ. We are in Christ. We are made perfect. Perfection at some point at the end of time uh, in Christ. So it's very powerful. I wish I had more um, to pop open. But there's so many verses that point to this um, lonely and almost condemning. Um, we're all we're all caught in this trap of sin. And so guess what? There's an answer coming forth in Rome. And I don't know where we're at on time, but there's any other thoughts. We're about any other thoughts? What was that? First Corinthians first, passage you just said? Uh, first Corinthians, um, I think it was second, no, first Corinthians 6 2 and 6 3. This is where Paul boards out emphatically this kind of out of context. It is about the vocation of Israel, the failure to accomplish that vocation, and because of their failure of following the law, being under the power of sin, did not succeed. But listen to this. God's faithfulness in creating, nevertheless, a people in whom that vocation would be carried forward. Who is that? In Christ. Uh, has to be Jews and Gentiles alike who believe their need and their heart need to be in Christ. And to have the faith and believe that Christ is going to do what He said He's going to do. It's pretty, pretty intense. Um, there's there's um, There's a kind of completing. I'm going to hold off a little bit, but Romans 2:17 to 29, which is kind of the end of this chapter, is kind of uh, I think it's not quite all of it, but is is a recapping of that same thought. And so we'll probably be covering that a little bit next time too. A lot of profound thought out there tonight that I'm uh, getting it brought forward. Please feel free to say anything if you have some final thoughts. Well, thank you. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for your scriptures and thank you for um, giving us this the many freedoms in this country to, to, to study, to be able to talk about these things, to be open about the truth. Forgive us for the mistakes, Lord. Forgive us for the error. In our hearts, and we ask you to fix and completely uh, continue improving our hearts as we go forward. We thank you. ask you to keep Everybody's safe on the roads and those going to see loved ones and so forth. And us going home and bring us back to this place safely. We thank you for all you said through Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen.